1 Timothy chapter 2. And as always, let's do the smart thing here and have a word of prayer before we uh, go into the message. Uh, Father God, just thankful to be here, thankful for the time of worship, thankful for the time just to come and hear what you have to say this morning. And as always, Lord, we pray that you would teach, we would listen, and that your spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Now, uh, continuing our study here through the book of 1 Timothy, and as we said uh, every week here in our study, the purpose of 1 Timothy, the key verses are found in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. These things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. The purpose of 1 Timothy is this book is written to the church to show us how the church is supposed to be run, the order of the church. Going back to our first lesson, we went back to Acts chapter 2, and we talked about the beginnings of the church, how the church was supposed to have a time of fellowship, a time of worship, a time of prayer, God's teaching, ministry, and service, and witnessing. And we've talked about how the church today has almost gotten away from that main emphasis and has almost become a country club type feel. And really the purpose of the church is for believers to come, be edified, grow in their walks with the Lord, come out hopefully stronger Christians, and go into the world and be lights and witnesses in all they do and all that they say. With that being said, here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3, we're getting into the order of the church, God's design for leadership. Now in a perfect world, I would love to teach the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 together to get a continuous flow. But during time constraints, we just can't put everything together. But when this book was initially written, it was written to be read straight through. When we chop it up, sometimes they think we lose the uh, uh, continual flow there that God originally designed. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we spent all last week just talking about verse 8. We just stopped and talked about prayer, the importance of prayer. Prayer is a corporate body and also prayer as an individual. Well, here... Now, in verses 9 through uh, 15 of chapter 2, we're going to start getting into the roles in church. And the first role that we're going to talk about is uh, in the roles of women. Verse 9, it says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for the women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Wow, talk about some explosive uh, verses there, huh? It's going to be a fun one. Um, quick story. First Sunday I ever taught at Harvest. I was back in December of 1997. Um, I'd been teaching Wednesday nights for a while, and Jim was going to be gone on a Sunday. So he said, hey, would you like to fill in for me on a Sunday? And I said, sure. So it was kind of a, it was an interesting Sunday. We were in the cafeteria at the school, and it was the first, like I said, first Sunday I ever taught. It was kind of a fun Sunday for a couple reasons. First off, it was that Sunday I found out that I was an assistant pastor out here because the bulletin said assistant pastor James Irvin teaching. I didn't know I was. I showed up that Sunday. I had a battlefield promotion, and... Uh, Guess they're stuck with me ever since. But the other thing was, Jim was going through 1 Timothy at the time, so I had to teach on 1 Timothy chapter 2. Talk about your first Sunday message. To this day, I still think Jim just skipped out on it because he didn't want to deal with this and give it to the kid, you know, let him. Uh... So with that being said, what is this passage talking about? Well, this passage is talking about three things. It's talking about physical appearance, it's talking about spiritual appearance, and it's also talking about your heart. So the physical the spiritual in your heart. Physical, spiritual, and the heart. Let's talk about the physical here first. Turn if you go to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a great passage. It goes right in line with this. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 
says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Verse 4 is the key. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Putting these two passages together, what we have here in 1 Peter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's not how you look, it's your heart that God cares about. That's a simple point. It's not how you look, it's your heart that God cares about. I mean, go back to when David was anointed king over Israel. They were looking at all the brothers there, trying to find the brother that God had called to be king. And they started with the oldest boy, the big strapping lad, and God kept saying no and no and no. And they finally said, Samuel, who was the prophet at that time, trying to find out who God wanted to be king, he asked David's father, Jesse, saying, don't you have any other boys to be king here? And Jesse's response was, well, there's just David, just little old David, shepherd boy. Bring him here, Samuel said. And that's when God, excuse me, Samuel had this wonderful comment of, God does not look on the outside appearance, but on the heart. Now, we all know that. But yet, in the society we live in today, there is such a focus on the outside appearance. Look at these words once again in 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. The hair, the gold, the fine apparel, but it's the hidden person of the heart. Jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says in verse 9, The women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Boy, we live in a world today where the idea of modest apparel is really not there, is it? It's tough. The problem is today, you really can't tell the Christians from the world when it comes to terms of dress and actions. You can't. This idea of modest apparel is kind of thrown out the window a little bit. And this is what we're supposed to adorn ourselves with in verse 9. Adorn means to make ready. I'm not trying to pick on gals here. It takes gals a while to get ready. It takes a while for them to adorn themselves. God's saying is, well, how much time does it take for you to adorn your heart, to get your heart ready for what God has to do? You know, because so often all that attention goes to the outside, but God says it's not your outside, it's your heart. Are you trying to bring attention to yourself or to your work? See, what happened was in verse 9 where it talks about braided hair with gold and pearls, what was happening back during this time is these gals would do their hair up and they would literally put gold into their hair, precious metals into their hair, so that way when they walked into the church it was like this fashion show. And God says, no, not that. It's not that he's against women doing their hair. It's against bringing the attention to yourself because God is trying to say here, are you trying to bring attention to yourself? Or, look at the end of verse 10, good works. What is it that you want, the attention or the works? The truth of the matter is the world has so creeped in to this area in Christianity, a lot of women, and to be honest, a lot of men, just don't want to hear this. They don't want to. Women like to dress a certain way. They like the attention it brings, and most men like the way the women dress. So therefore, no one really seems to have a problem with it except for God. Well, the gals, they use the physical to attract the guys, and the guys judge the gals by the physical. I don't know if I've ever heard a a young Christian man come up to me and say in verse 10, you know, James, I'm looking for a woman that's professing godliness with good works. That's the type of woman I want to meet. So generally the first thing they say is how pretty she is. What about the godliness with the good works? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's important too and all that other type of stuff. Well, God and his list of attributes of a godly woman here in verse 10, he says, you know, the godliness with good works, that's the most important thing. Now, we all sit here, we all nod our head, and we all say we agree, but the truth of the matter is, do we really put that as the priority of many things? One of my favorite little verses in the Bible, Proverbs 31.30, Proverbs 31.30, listen to this. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. God says, it's not the charm, it's not the beauty, 
It's a woman who fears the Lord, a woman who has that strong relationship with God. Once again, the godliness with good works there in verse 10. That is what it is. That is what matters more than anything. The attraction should be to the personality of the good godly works of a Christian gal. You can be attractive without looking like the world. The problem is the world, once again, is so creeped into every area of our life, we consider it normal and acceptance of what people look like and dress. I had a situation pop up this week. We were at the library, and we're sitting there in the library. Dawn had run in to uh, take care of some stuff in the library, some books, and I was out in the van with the boys. We're sitting out there in the van with the boys, and Elias says, Dad. I said, what? He starts pointing, and he starts doing this mumble whisper thing. I don't know. what He's, Dad. Elias, I don't know what you're trying to say. Dad. Look. And he's, Elias, I don't understand what you're trying to say. Just say what you're trying to say. He goes, Dad, she's naked. That's what he says. Now, I don't know what to do with that. If she's really naked, I don't want to see it. But if he really is seeing a naked woman walking into the library, that's an issue that needs to be addressed in some ways, I think. Dawn, Dawn does the same thing to me. We'll be watching a program, or we'll be out in public. She'll be like, I can't believe she's wearing that. And I say, who? She goes, don't you look. And it's like, I'm not looking, but you bring a point up, and you say, this, I mean, human nature is, you know, if I say, well, don't you look over there. Well, I'm not trying to get myself in trouble. So anyway, Elias says, she's naked. And what it was, it was a young gal. I mean, young gal, like not even school age, and, and she wasn't, wearing a whole awful lot. I mean, it was summer, and it was just a little girl out there, etc. But yet, it's amazing to, to the boys there, this idea of she's naked. She doesn't have clothes on. Uh, I've shared this story with you before. Years ago, uh, before we had kids, um, got a subscription to uh, Sports Illustrated. And if you know Sports Illustrated, it has that one issue that comes out once a year, the uh, swimsuit issue. And we got the subscription, didn't think anything about it, until uh, one day Dawn went out to the mailbox. And she got it, and it was the swimsuit issue there for Sports Illustrated. And Dawn at that time was about eight months pregnant with Elias. So she got the swimsuit issue, and she was just furious. She sat there, and she looked through every single page. She, and I'm not kidding. And she dumped ketchup on it. So long story short, we found out that Sports Illustrated um, had a number that you could call to say, hey, you don't want the swimsuit issue. So well, we started calling every year and said, hey, we don't want the swimsuit issue. And so they wouldn't send it. But the problem was one year, and I don't know what happened, is the phone call fell through. Anyways, the issue came again, and we said, okay, we're done with that. We don't need that coming into the house. So we got a subscription to another sports magazine. And so what happens is with these articles, I mean, the articles are nothing inappropriate, but it's the ads. I mean, it's those ads that are inappropriate. It's just like anything. You can be watching a program on television, which is not inappropriate in any way whatsoever, but then some of those commercials come on, and you're like, oh, my goodness. So what happens now is the other magazine comes. I give it to Dawn, and she goes through, and I'm not exaggerating, she goes through with a black permanent marker, and she just marks out or rips out pages of anything that she feels is inappropriate. Now, I sit there, and part of me says, I'm glad. I'm glad I have a wife that's willing to do that. I mean, one of the things that we pray for, and uh, you know, some of you may think this is strange, but one of the things that we pray for in our, in our nightly prayers is we're just straight open. I say, Lord, we pray that give me eyes only for my wife. There's a lot of junk out there in the world. I don't want to see that junk. I don't want to be around that stuff. Lord, give me eyes only for my wife. And if she wants to go through and do that, I have no problems with that in any way whatsoever because there's a lot of times out there in verse 9, there's not a lot of modest apparel. It's all over. It is all over everywhere we go. And it's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for you that have young girls at home because they see the vast majority of people wearing those type of outfits and acting that way, and they think that is considered normal. It's tough if you have young men at home because they grow up seeing that and thinking that is, once again, normal. 
It's an ongoing battle. The world has creeped in on a lot of these issues. Now, we think this is a 21st century problem. This has been around for thousands of years. Job in Job 31 said, I have made a pact with my eyes to not stray to the left or to the right to look at the young maidens. Now, Job was written probably four to 5,000 years ago. Now, what were those gals wearing four to 5,000 years ago? Enough to the point where Job says, I got to be careful. I don't want my eyes to wander. If my eyes wander, it's going to cause problems. And really what it comes down to is, ladies, the men who are coming after you and want you solely for the physical, want you solely for the looks, that's not the type of guy you want to be your husband or the future father of your children. And men, the gals that you are going with that are just flaunting everything, that's not the type of gal you want to be the wife and the future mother of your kids. That's what it comes down to. The problem is the world is so creeped in that we have lost that. We've become so intermingled with it that we consider it, quote-unquote, almost okay. No, you've got to go back to the standards that God has set back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, modest apparel. We're all guilty of this. We all are. As men... We're guilty of promoting it and accepting it and saying it's okay and liking it and pushing for it. Gals, they're wrong for, for going that route to say, well, this is what we have to do to be attractive. This is what attractiveness according to the world. Parents, we're wrong for allowing it to happen. We're all guilty of this type of thing. This is not just a message towards gals saying, women, you're wrong for this. No, we're all guilty of allowing this type of thing to continue and happen. And that's why you have to get back to the basics of this, that idea of modest apparel and verse 10, godliness with good works. What is attractive in the eyes of God? According to God, in verse 10, something that's attractive is godliness with good works. The world has its own standards of attractiveness. God has his. Well, God's standard is the better standard. And that's the standard that we're called to live on, and that's the standard that we want to live by. So looking at the physical appearance here, we need to have that modesty in verse 9. Looking at the spiritual appearance here in verse 10, we need that professing godliness with good works. There's a lot of great godly women in the Bible that did so much, so much. I was just going through just the book of Acts alone. You had Lydia in the book of Acts. It was a businesswoman, businesswoman that opened up her house to have a church meet inside of her house. Good godly woman. There was another woman in the book of Acts chapter 9 whose name was Tabitha. She was such a servant that when she died, the church wept and mourned over her. Then you also have Priscilla, who along with her husband ministered to Apollos, discipling him. You see all these different type of godly women God using in the book of Acts. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has called and what God wants to do. And we need to get back to those standards of that modest apparel. Verse 10, godliness with good works. We've got to get back to that. Is it a battle? It's an ongoing battle. Dawn and I went shopping a couple weeks ago, and it was just her and I, and we were at a store looking for clothes for her. It's difficult to find anything that is modest. It's tough. But as Christians, we are called to a different standard. We don't want to allow the world to creep in to what we're doing and how we're doing it. Oh, that's the spiritual side. That's the physical side. Now we continue on with this. Look at verse 11 again. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Those are some tough verses. And those are verses that have been twisted over the years both ways. And really what it comes down to, and over the last part of this message, you're going to hear me say these points numerous times. Because repetition, I want you to know these things. As we get in here to the role and order that God has called, I want to make sure people know this. This is not a battle of superiority. It's not a battle of inferiority. It's a battle of priority, of what God has deemed the priority of church. This is not feminism versus male chauvinism. It's what God has said is best. Yes, feminism, chauvinism are both wrong on those full extremes. But what has God said? 
is the order here. And that's what we're getting ready to talk about is the order. Now, there's some other passages that go along with this that usually are thrown together. In 1 Corinthians 14, it comes right out and says, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to speak in church. That's a strong, powerful verse. See, but you also have to understand the context of some of the stuff we're talking about here. In, in the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, that church was so out of whack. It had so many problems. And so Paul wrote that book of 1 Corinthians to address these problems. And what was going on in the church services back then is, is there was such a loud, uproarious church service, and there was so much talking, and the women constantly talking and speaking. Paul said, hey, just don't talk. Just don't talk. And he said, when you get home, talk to your husbands about the spiritual questions you have, and, and, and just go about it from that way. We had those moments in life, don't you? We, were, we had a long day yesterday. It was a good day. It was a fun day, but it was a long day. We ended up going to Defiance, to Lipstick, to Bowling Green, to over Mill City. We were all over the place. But we got a few miles from home, and everybody was tired. Everybody was hot. And the boys were doing something in the back of the van. I don't even want to know what it was loud. I just remember Dawn looking around and said, no one talks until we get home. He just reached a point of no, and I don't know if she included me or not, but I didn't say anything for the rest of the way home. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, was basically saying, just, just be quiet. Okay, just, just be quiet. Just don't talk. Talk about it at home. Ask your husband at home. Just, just be quiet. Well, this is not talking about church service here. This is talking about order and leadership in the church. This is a little bit of a different subject here. And that word right there which says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, that word silence is really not a good translation. That word literally means no chattering. That's what that word literally means. is no chattering when it comes to that type of stuff. Once again, this is not a battle of superiority or inferiority or priority. It's not feminism. It's not chauvinism. It's God's order. And what is God's order? I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, let's talk about the different roles that women have in church. See, here's the problem. People look at the Bible and women, and they say, what a book. This book just puts women down. It says no to them and no to this and no to that. If that's the mindset that people have, that Christianity is some type of chain or shackle on women, they do not understand Christianity. There has been no other book other than the Bible that has done more to free women and to show the role and position that women can have in serving God in so many different capacities. Because back during this time, if you were a woman, you were the low of the low of society. God said women are equal when it comes to salvation. Women are equal when it comes to inheriting the Holy Spirit. They are a beautiful creation of God. Go back to the first created woman. We talk about this a lot in premarital counseling. Eve is made out of Adam's rib. She wasn't made from the head to show that she's over man. She wasn't made from the foot to show that she should be walked on by man. She was made from the rib, showing an equality right there. Now we're going to build on that in a little bit, but look at all the different roles in the Bible. In the Bible, do you realize there are prophetesses? Women prophets. There are uh, women that uh, to help disciple. We've already talked about Priscilla with her husband Aquila discipling uh, Apollos. There's women that wrote worship songs. There's women that also did teaching that taught other women and taught children like the Bible said there. There's women that opened up their houses to Bible studies. There is that equality there of salvation. Male and female created. Brother and sister in the Lord. So why the exception here? Well, God gives two reasons on why the exception here of verse 12 of I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. What's the exception? Well, first one is found in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, that's not a cultural thing. That's a God thing. Adam was formed first, then Eve. That, once again, is not a cultural thing, but that's an order that God has ordained and set up. Once again, now I want everybody to know this. This is not superiority. If a man thinks that he is superior 
to women. That man is arrogant and foolish. Because to understand the blessing that God has, I mean, I especially tell this to husbands. The, women, the woman was created to be the helpmate. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And anytime I see a, a man being disrespectful to his wife, I think, boy, he doesn't really realize what he's got there. To understand what God has in store. God has this order that he has set up. 1 Corinthians goes into detail on this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. And those are from some different verses there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, people hear that order and they get worked up. Verse 3, The head of every woman is man. Now, wait a second here. Look at the order once again. The order. If the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, really what you're saying is the head ultimately of every woman is what? Christ. That's the way the system is supposed to work. There's this verse that we always quote out of Ephesians 5. Everybody knows this verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Probably the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Is there truth in that verse? Yeah, there is truth in that verse. But if you take that verse and twist it to mean some type of subservient role for women, you're missing out on that verse. Because Christ said himself that he submitted unto the will of God the Father. And before that verse, it says in verse 21 that we're all supposed to submit to one another. Verse 21, submitting to one another. There are times that I submit unto Dawn where she has an idea. That's a good idea. And I, I need to say, you know what? I see it from a different perspective, but I hear what you're saying, and I respect that. There's times that you submit unto that. You know, my wife obviously uh, helps uh, run the VBSs out here. When it comes to VBS, I'm going to go to her and say, hey, where do you need me? She's not having spiritual authority over me. I'm saying, hey, where do you need me? I'm going to serve. Where, where can I help? You know, I, I've shared with you before, last year for VBS, I served back in the toddler room. And back in the toddler room, Tony was the one teaching the toddler room. I didn't see that as some type of breach of 1 Timothy chapter 2, you know, spiritual authority over man. No, I, Tony, hey, what do you want me to do? How can I help? There's that subservient, submissive sometimes of what can I do to help. But when it comes to order, when it comes to what God has ordained here in the spiritual authority over man in the teaching, he says that there is an order that he has set up there with, with the man. Now, once again, if that's taken as some type of way of women are inferior, that's being twisted because that's not what it is. Because Christ himself submitted unto God. And if he says, if I'm submitting unto God... What an example that he set for everybody else. But that's an issue that comes up and it gets twisted and Satan likes to play that. He likes to play that whole submission thing and just you're inferior and you're nothing. No, that's not what that verse is saying. You know, God has set up this order of authority where it works, where you need that person that is in charge. And anybody that's ever worked before knows that you don't want the boss that is the slave, master, lord, and master. You want that boss that works beside you, but yet when the difficult decisions come, that boss says, okay, i got to seek the Lord on this. I need to take input from other people. But ultimately, I'm responsible to make these decisions, and I seek the Lord over that. That's the way the system is supposed to work. If the head of man is Christ, so that woman then looks at the husband and looks at the man and says, well, then I don't have a problem with this because I know he's seeking the Lord on these type of things, and God's going to guide and direct them for what is best for the church and also what is best for the family. So that was the first thing there in verse 13. What's the second one? What's the second reason why God has set it up this way? Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Simple thing to remember, Eve was deceived. So since Eve was deceived, God says that's an issue there. Now, are we picking on Eve? No, because Adam sinned too. Here's the difference between, now I'm being a little stereotypical, and I don't mean to be sexist when I say this, but I've seen this over the years. Not every situation goes this way. But sometimes it is. if you generally go up to a gal and say, hey, 
Why did you do that? That was wrong. Well, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about it, and I thought about what they said, and I thought about what she did, and they, they had this long thought process of, of why they did what they did was wrong. Go up to a typical guy. Why did you do that? I don't know. Just did it. I mean, Eve was deceived. The snake came in and talked her into this and, and, and deceived her when it came to that. Adam, I just want to eat it. And that just blind disobedience. And, and God said that's the other reason there was that deception that came that brought and fell into transgression. Once again, Eve was deceived. Adam, oh yeah, he sinned too. There's no doubt about it. But there was that deception that came in also there with Eve. So what does this mean? Well, turn if you will to Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. Problem is, some people here are teaching like this and they say, see, once again, you're putting women in a box. They can't do this. They can't do that. They're missing out on what God has said and they're missing out on what the Lord wants. And the best thing to do is to go back to what the Lord says is best. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 is a passage we go to a lot because I think it's one of the greatest, simplest passages of just what God has ordained in the church here of an order. Look in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. Older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient, and their own husbands, that the word of God may not be displeased. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, and all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, God has set up this, this wonderful order here in the church of the way things are supposed to work. And this is something where, you know, as time has gone on, I, I see this more and more and more, that it's best when the, the situations with the women pop up to do exactly what it says there in Titus chapter 2, is to have the older women teach the younger women. That's one of the best things that happened. I had a situation that popped up a few weeks ago out here at church, and I uh, shot Betsy an email that heads up a lot of our ladies' studies. And I, I simply put in the email, hey, I got the husband covered, you cover the wife. You know, that type of thing. Now, does that mean I'll never sit down and do counseling with a woman or sit down and talk to her about what's going on? There's times and situations, and I believe for accountability, you want to make sure you have a woman there in the presence. But God has said this system, this order works here. And that one of the main roles of the women then is to help teach that younger generation of women there, just as it says in verses 4, 5, and 6. And also you see, too, the role of women, too, is this idea of uh, helping teach um, a, a lot of the youth. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it talks about how Timothy got saved through uh, Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about how he knew scriptures from early childhood from his mom. Right now, as we teach out here, you know, there's a couple hundred people sitting in here. Well, you know what? There's like, I can't remember. I think there's six or seven classrooms going on in the back right now. Of those six or seven classrooms, probably 80% of the people helping are probably gals. Now, problem is, people may see that and say, well... That's subservient back there with the kids. My goodness, if that's what you think is teaching kids as a lower calling, then you're missing out on something. Because really what it comes down to, that is the, the generation there that is eager to learn. And, and I tell you, more fruit's going to come out of those kids than comes out of here of a Sunday morning up here with you guys. Have you looked at yourself lately? Not much fruit comes out of out here. But with the kids, there's this heart, this is excitement. And, and what a blessing that is. And, and, you know, this is a touchy subject. Because as this subject comes up, it almost makes it sound like, well, you're saying this. This is not a teaching. This is not a subject on staying at home versus women working in the workforce. I'm not talking about that. 
Talking about what it says here in Titus chapter 2, and I'm talking for Dawn and I, for us personally. You know, it took us a while to have kids. We were married for about nine years before we started having children. But when we started having children, we wanted to have Dawn uh, stay at home with the kids. And she was working outside the home. I was working, obviously. And so we had to adjust our lifestyle. We had to adjust our, our income down to that one income and plan for that because we felt for us the greatest ministry was for Dawn to be home there with the kids. Um, I was very thankful. My mom uh, stayed at home until I was in kindergarten. And once I went to kindergarten, she went back into the workforce. And there was a blessing in that. And I think if you go up to Dawn and ask her, I don't think she feels subservient. I don't think she feels um, like she's missing out on something or a lower type of person. And trust me, my wife is a very honest woman. My wife is also a college-educated woman. She went to college. She's got a degree. She's a smart cookie. She also felt like that's where the Lord was leading for that type of ministry. See, here's the problem. To the world's perspective, it's subservient. A woman, well, she only does this, she only does that. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, look at what God has says here. And, and it, God says if the youth, the kids, are one of the greatest ministries we have, what a blessing it is to be involved with that. What a blessing it is to see. So what you see here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is you see the order that God has ordained and set up. You see that order there of what he is looking for in the women there with the modest apparel, godliness with good works. And like I said, that's not just a teaching towards the women. That's a teaching towards all of us to encourage that behavior in young gals and adult women too. And also for us as men to watch what we watch, to watch what we're looking at too, because we don't want to get caught up into that too. And that idea of having authority over man, that is not some type of thing where the woman is not capable or whatever. It's God's order that he set up, and he set that up from verses 13 and 14 there of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now once again, in a perfect world, we only got a few minutes left. It'd be great to go right into 1 Timothy chapter 3 and then go into that order of the idea of, uh, depending on your translation, bishop, elder, pastor there in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But due to kind time constraints, we can't. But because this rhetor was written as one continuous flow, you see how God brings this all together. Because we have to chop it up for Sundays. That's what happens there a little bit. Last point I want to say, look at verse 15. We covered this. Nevertheless, you will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That's another verse that's been taken out of context a lot. But is that verse saying that the only job of the women is just to get out there and have kids? No, that's not what that verse is saying. First off, saved in childbirth. As sin entered the world, through Adam, as it says, but also the sin came through with Eve's deception there. Part of the blessing of salvation also comes back through the role of woman too. It was a woman that gave birth to the Savior. Plus there's this idea of this beautiful picture as we talked about before of seeing the ministry of children and family. Does this mean if a woman is never called to marriage that she's less of a woman? Of course not. I've mentioned some of those gals there in uh, the book of Acts. Lydia, I don't think it ever mentions her husband. It doesn't ever mention Tabitha's husband either, and they had wonderful ministries. Does this mean if a woman never has kids or can't have kids that she's less of a woman? No. I uh, shared at the first service, I had a great aunt that just passed away about a month or so ago, uh, never married, um, went down to southern Indiana, was a missionary forever down there. She never had a physical child. She sure had a lot of godly offspring. I'll tell you that right now. And she had a beautiful ministry of serving the Lord in that capacity. And she touched more lives than what I can ever truly imagine. So we've got to be careful with some of these passages. We have the tendency sometimes to ignore it, not speak the truth. But then we also have the other tendency to take it and twist it and make it say something that God is not trying to say. It's important to get the full context of God's word and understand what he has said and what he says is best when it comes to the order of the church and trusting that. In God's way, and that's what First Timothy chapter two is talking about. If Marvin wants to come forward here for the final song, we'll get into First uh, Timothy three next week. Once again, 